the rigid leader is no longer successful. You've got to be super adaptable. And how you manage Sally compared to Mary, compared to John, compared to Mark, are completely different. And various things drive that. And that's, again, where the empathetic leader becomes important. Welcome to the E-Word Podcast, Leadership Lessons from the Upside. The E-Word is about empathy in the work world and empathetic leadership. I'm your host, Debbie Kleiman. I'm the managing partner of the Upside Angels and a member of the Upside. The Upside is a network of leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and investors who want to transform success into significance by helping others. We believe the world needs empathetic leadership now more than ever, so we decided to do a podcast about it to showcase some of the best E-Word leaders and how they do it. Our guest today is Mike Pelletier. Mike's career spans multiple COO and executive leadership roles in behavioral health. As an executive and change agent, he's led teams in turnarounds, systems optimization, innovation, and restructuring. He's known for building top-performing teams by creating a culture of motivation, respect, and accountability. Mike is currently COO at Key Autism Services, a leading provider of in-home applied behavior analysis therapy services to those diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Mike, thank you so much for being here with us today on The E-Word. Thanks, Debbie. Happy to be here. We're really happy to have you. So let's dive right in. The E-word on our podcast stands for empathy, and we're all about understanding and seeing empathetic leadership in action. So a lot of people define it in different ways, and there's been more and more written about it. Please tell me a little bit about how you define empathetic leadership. Sure. I I think it's the ability to recognize, predict, and understand the emotional needs of your employees. Um, to try to build that employee unity and the overall cultural diversity, being able to understand what they're experiencing, you know, the active listening. Uh, Ultimately, it's the interpersonal connections that, you know, it, it helps you connect to the people and helps you connect to the employees of the organization. Is there anything you do specifically that helps you to make great interpersonal connections? Well, I mean, talking about empathy, right? It's it's having that ability both cognitively and emotionally, basically, to, you know, take their perspective, to understand what they're going through. Um, one thing that I've always prided myself on as a leader, and I try to pass this on to the managers and supervisors and so forth under me, is, is being that individual that leads by example. You know, build that culture of trust in all of your employees. I love that. Well, so you've been in behavioral health space for a very long time, as I mentioned. And I think one of the big challenges in working in behavioral health is finding people who are both exceptionally skilled at this work, but who also have a passion and a stamina to do day in and day out really hard work. So tell me how you create an organizational culture that attracts and retains people in these kinds of roles. Yeah, very difficult. The, they, you know, in the behavioral health space, you know, these these employees face challenging dilemmas that their clients are facing on a daily basis. And, and many times they're hearing three, four, five cases a day, you know, upwards of as many 20 cases a week of difficult situations that their clients are facing. 
And, you know, for them to be successful almost to a point, right, they've got to have that empathy to connect to their clients as well. Uh, one thing that, you know, I focus on, you know, in the behavioral health space is, is how are you going to get the best care? That's our focus, right? The ultimate goal is if we're providing great services for our clients, then the organizational success will take care of itself. And how best to do that is to have happy employees, employees enjoying what they're doing, enjoying helping people. So to drive that down through your overall culture of the organization is being able to talk to them, uh, listen to them. They're at the most, I think the most important part of being an empathetic leader is, is you've got to be able to listen, not just hear them talk, but listen and understand what they're going through and be able to take actions to help them. You know, put yourself in their shoes, just as they're putting themselves in their client's shoes. And, you know, as any organization that I've been through in the behavioral health, driving that culture is going out and talking to the employees. Physically, you know, harder in the COVID era, but face-to-face, right? So now you're doing it via camera, but understanding what they're going through. And it's not just the me driving it to the managers it's it's me also being able to talk to the employees the larger the organization the more of a challenge that is so you've got to really focus on the mid-level managers to do the same thing and to understand what they're going through and offer solutions take actions what are they facing what are the challenges you know ultimately it's you know one thing that a you know mention a lot is that employees remember not what you say, they're remembering how you made them feel. And it's no different in the behavioral health space, right? That they're doing the same with their clients. So it's truly listening to what they have to say and and being able to take action. And, And look, you know, you can't always solve all of their problems as a leader, but if you, but if you listen to them, explain to them, Unfortunately, I understand what you're going through and I can't, I can't solve this problem right now. I may be able to in the future, but you heard them, you acknowledge them and it's, and it's on your list to do and tackle in the future. And that means a lot. Yeah. So in a way you're using empathetic leadership with them to empower them to be empathetic with their clients. They also need to harness the power of empathy in the work that they're doing with their autistic clients and their families. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm working with autistic children now, but even before, before in mental health and behavioral health space and, and day treatment centers, psychological patients, it, it's really the same thing. It's, 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 they've got to have that same trait. And how do you instill that across your organization and understanding the importance of it and how it impacts? You know, it's a, it's a little different than running a company that does widgets. Yeah, right, right. Certainly the people doing this difficult work are your biggest asset. So do you have a story or an example of where this really came into play, where someone came to you having difficulty coping with the demands of these kinds of roles and you had to help them through it in a way that maybe employed empathetic leadership to help them cope? Sure. You know, I've got a, I've got a few uh, that come to mind, especially in the, in the behavioral health space um, with one of the companies I ran before. You know, where you know, a particular employee was really struggling 
with the case at hand. They felt that they they weren't making any they weren't having any success with the client, um, not seeing any any positive results through the interactions. And, you know, being able to sit down with that employee and, and explain to them that success is measured in many different ways and that, you know, I can understand what she was going through. I can understand that, you know, having no positive movement was not the goal that she was looking for, was not, you know, reaching her goals. But a lot of times in behavioral health, and again, I, you know, the industry is somewhat unique. Um, a lot of times no regression is success. Mm. And oh, yeah, you know, that's being able to right, being able to spin her thinking around, you know, you can't always take 10 steps forward. You know, sometimes to get to that space and those goals, it could be three steps sideways, four steps sideways, then start going forward again. And, and you're going to have intervals and, and success can still be achieved through lateral movement that you're not having any regression. And it, and it really put a whole new perspective in her that, you know, it, it almost revitalized her. And, and, you know, I used it, I can't remember, unfortunately, the specific example I used, but I try to, right, use an example of, of my life or people that I've worked with in the past of, of how that comes into play, you know, and when you can actually build that bond with the employee and, and, and have a real life example, that's even better. You know, this is my example for you, I guess you could say. And, and it really just reinvigorated her and, and, and really, I think it was probably four or five months later, she reached back out to me and, and just, you know, kind of thanked me and said, you know, boy, you know, we've now really progressed a lot and, and used your conversation with the client about how even the client was feeling like they were unsuccessful and that, you know, again, by not regressing, that can be success. So I think that was, that was one that really sticks out. Yeah, you talked a little bit earlier about this idea of providing exceptional customer service. And that is something you pride yourself on as a COO, right? That takes a lot of different pieces coming together in the right way to provide exceptional service. And in several of the situations you've been in recently, you're doing turnarounds. So you're making major changes in companies in order to make them better. Where does that intersection of innovation, change management, and empathetic leadership come into play? Sure. You know, the when you're going through change management, change is difficult for everyone. It's it's difficult for the employees that are going through it. And and every every situation is unique, whether it's a, you know, kind of like a mom and pop company that's, you know, spreading their wings and, and trying to become a large company, or if it's a large company that's just gone through some changes. Um, being able to sit with employees, sit with the supervisors, sit with the managers, you know, and whether that gets passed down, the, the importance is, is trying to send the same message. The larger the organization, the more difficult the telephone game becomes, right, of making sure that your message is passed down consistently. Um, but putting yourself in their shoes and saying change is difficult, right? Don't don't try to sugarcoat it. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to pretend it's not there. Um, embrace it. Embrace that they are experiencing change, that they are having stress, that the stress is, you know, now bringing stress to the home, right? And, and literally, you know, being in their shoes and understanding and saying, 
we get this and we'll work through it. And that, you know, understanding that tomorrow and the next day is another day closer to that we're done and that we're finished, right? It doesn't even necessarily mean change management. It could be a project. It could be anything that they may become overwhelmed. And, you know, the message is, you know, look, we've been there. We've, we've done projects before. If you haven't, then this is your first one. Every day that goes by, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're one day closer to being done. Right. And, and, and all we can do is block and tackle the challenges and the problems that we have. And, and there's not someone in the organization that hasn't dealt with what you're dealing with before. And we have solutions and we have recommendations and we have people to talk to and, and just not ignore them, but actually like take those actions and follow up is key too. when you're going through change management, when you're trying to change the culture of an organization, You'll find a lot of leaders are great at going in and saying, this is what I want to do. This is where we're going to be next year and let's go. But never follow up, never, you know, check in and say, you know, hey, how are we doing? How are you feeling? Are you, do you feel like we're still getting there in that time frame? And, and is it what you expected? Is it not what you expected? And again, I go back to the listening of, of making sure that you're listening. And if you are sometimes your path is going to change because you're going to find something from your employees that you had absolutely no idea. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> it probably happens for a lot of smart people. They're listening yeah. while they go and are being flexible and responsive to what their employees are telling them, where their customers are telling them. And those are probably the people that win more often than not. You talk about the challenges of communicating in large organizations. Are you passing or using the same message for all employees across the board? Or do you have to change it a little bit, depending on who you're speaking to or what you're speaking about? So I guess yes and yes, right? <laughs> if that's possible. Um, yes, we're trying to pass the same message. And, and really, I guess the way to say it is we're, we're trying to pass along the same goal. And the same route on how we're going to get there. But in terms of the actual message, you know, I think that what I found the most important for leaders nowadays is, and especially as the generations change is the rigid leader is no longer successful. You've got to be super adaptable and, and how you manage Sally compared to Mary compared to John compared to Mark are completely different. Um, and, and various things drive that. And that's, again, where, you know, the empathetic leader becomes important because, you know, are they completely different because of their upbringing? Are they completely different because of where in the country they live? You know, if we're a national country, you know, the, the, the way I communicate and drive someone, you know, in Texas compared to New Hampshire, compared to California is completely different. And oh yeah, I bet it is. Right. And and being able to the successful leaders are able to understand that, see that, and be able to adapt. So you're you're still marching to the same goal, you're still marching to the same outcome. Um, but it, it goes back to just the organizational behavior one oh one, right? Is is understanding what drives the people that you're talking to, what's what's really driving them in what they're doing. So you're saying not only the message changes based on what they do for their job, but culturally where they are being thoughtful about your diverse workforce. So you may need to change or modify the message for their context, 
just really be in tune with how all these different things can play a role in how someone receives a message and then take action on it. Correct. Correct. And understanding them, right? You know, some people, you know, prefer the, we're going from point A to point B, here's how we're going to get there. Let's get it done. You know, where other people like, you know, we're, we're going from point A to point B, we're going to do these things and stop and smell the flowers along the way, right? They want to hear it differently. It's yeah. Ultimately, you know, goals the same, just messaging has to be, you know, crafted differently on who the audience is. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mike, you held a lot of great roles as a chief operating officer, as a president. How has your leadership style had to change? Are there things that happened in different roles or within different industries that taught you something that ultimately made your leadership style different? Yes, um, absolutely. So early on in my career, I was in the public safety space. And later in my career, I was in the behavioral health space. And, you know, how I managed, communicated with folks in the public safety sector versus the behavioral health, mental health sector are completely different. And again, you know, earlier to, you know, in our discussion, you were talking about the adaptability of understanding your audience and putting yourself in those shoes. And, and those were completely different situations I was trying to manage and help with versus what I'm trying to manage and help with now. Beyond that, I'm continuously trying to get better, continuously trying to learn and, and to be a successful leader. I feel, you know, you're, you're doing yourself a, a you know, you're being dishonest to yourself if you're not trying to do that. If you're trying to, um, I try to continuously get better. I have, every time I've left a career, anytime I've left a role, I've conducted autonomous surveys with all of my direct reports and had them. Oh, that's really smart. I love that. Yeah. And, and really ask, you know, what did you like most about my leadership style? What did you like least about my leadership style? What can I do better what can I do differently? And I've done that. I, I can't tell you. So, you know, probably my last eight stints. And and it's the one thing that's kind of funny. The one thing that I, I struggle with the most that's come up in all of my surveys is I need to communicate better about when I'm when I'm in a pressure situation and I'm asking for information. I don't always inform my employees why I'm asking for the information. And it's I've got something on my mind or a project or a thought on how I want to, you know, pivot or change. I'm thinking about something, some sort of call it an improvement strategy, and I'm asking for data to support it because I drive everything by data. And I'll ask for information, but I don't always explain why. So I'm, I'm way better at it today than I was 20 years ago. Uh, would I say that I've cured it? Absolutely not, right? Because it's, it's, it's ultimately that... that um, you know, you always end up, you know, going back to what you used to in stressful situations. And if, if I'm trying to get something accomplished quick, I'm just asking and going. But yeah, to get back to your question, it's, it's, I consider myself evolving over my career and continuously do so because we're always learning. We're learning better ways to do things. If you, if you referenced empathetic leader 30 years ago, they probably would have laughed at you. Right, right. When we were talking in another conversation I had recently that they didn't teach empathetic leadership in business school when we were in business school, but they probably do now in some way, shape or form, right? Right. Yeah, silly if they don't, because it's, it's, you know, again, it's, it's those, no matter what industry you're in, happy employees generate success. 
And, yeah, for sure. And, you know, those interpersonal connections are just so critical for leaders to understand how to connect with the employees. Do you have any other stories that you can think of around a change that you tried to implement in one of these turnaround situations that you've been in, in that like you kind of fell flat and it didn't work and that you learned something important from that failure? Yes, I I, I think that learning from your failures are, are somewhat easier than learning from your successes to pinpoint a particular failure you know, may be difficult, but I would say one, I remember with one company, you know, we went and surveyed all of our staff and, you know, what was the, the leading factor to them being unhappy? And, you know, and there was, I don't know, probably close to 900 employees. And, and we took our time. We asked several questions in the survey. We, we analyzed it. We, we got through everything. And, and this was a uh, productivity business. So it was solely based on, you know, productivity in the behavioral health space. And unanimously, I would say, you know, rated up there at 85% was compensation was the most important factor around them being unhappy in their role. So we gave them all raises, you know, significant raises and then watched. Right. And so then we analyzed it nine to 12 months later. And what we found was the compensation was not the answer that may have been how they answered the question, but that was not what, the issue was the issue was they wanted more time off. So the, the real answer. Wow. Okay. Yes. So, so the real answer of their, even though they didn't know it, but their real answer was they wanted more work-life balance and wanted more time off that we as a company could have accommodated and managed much better. If we knew that was the answer, than just the straight out compensation. So, and we could have we could have even done more than than what we did just by then a straight raise by managing you know different work life balance and time off and all of those types of things. So it really you know struck me that wow we as leaders and managers truly don't have a handle on our employees. We thought we did. We did a survey. We took their word. But if but if we if we were truly connected to them and we were really listening to our employees during our one-on-one meetings and our supervisions and all of that, then our mid-level leaders should have been able to talk to us and communicate to us and say, yeah, even though 85% responded comp, it's really like that work-life balance. And can you, can we, can we mix that up and, and do something differently? So I think, you know, that's an example of where, I did something, tried something. It was really expensive and and failed because it, it resulted in nothing for the company except greater expense. Um, well, I can't say it resulted in nothing because ultimately the employees did have more time off. So it resulted in that. They were happier, but we would have been able to do things differently if we understood that better and we could have even made much a, a much more significant impact on them. Yeah, that's super interesting because sometimes employees don't actually know what they want 
Sure, the idea of more money seems like a great option to pick in a survey, but when you start to listen, like you've talked about, this very active listening for what's under the surface, what their meaning is really about, you're going to hear something different and then pick the right option to make their work lives better. They may not have even known it themselves, so they couldn't articulate it. That's a great example. Right. Yeah, I mean, we tried to do the right thing. We listened. We heard. We took action. But I, I think that that if we were connected better on an interpersonal level with them and understanding that, we might have been able to to define it a little better. So one thing I know about you, Mike, is that you're a former golf professional earlier in your career. How do you think this experience helped you as a leader and as a customer experience professional? Was there anything about that role that you feel still serves you today? So, yes, I think, you know, boy, that was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but I think that what it showed me, one, was the, the customer interfacing, you know, that, that that was customer interfacing nonstop. So, you know, having a, a good understanding of your interactions with your customer and the impact it can or can't have on your business at a young age, I thought was very good. I think in terms of being the the golf professional, um, it really taught me to you know be committed to my craft. You know that that you had to practice every day, hours every day, and if you took any time off, it showed. Um, and it's and it's no different in business, right? You've gotta you've gotta understand what's going on and be committed to you know, your mission and your vision of your company and committed to those values. And, and when you take some time off or stray away, it will absolutely impact your business. That's great, Mike. Thank you. So let's just summarize for our listeners. It's a great way to wrap up our time together. So if you could sort of put together three takeaways from your perspective on being an empathetic leader and building strong culture. I would say that, you know, Happy employees, and happy is a relative term, but happy employees meaning that they're feeling listening, they're they're feeling supported, um, they they feel that they have a connection with the entire leadership team and structure will result in positive organizational success. You know whether they're whether they're client facing, whether they're building something. Um, when you have the the proper culture, you know throughout your organization, you're going to have success. I think that the very important for leaders to understand is I, I think I said it earlier in our discussion is that employees may not always remember what you say or exactly how you say it, but they will remember exactly how you made them feel. And that's something that, that, that leaders just have to be aware of, right? It's, they're not going to remember word for word what you say, but they're going to remember leaving that meeting, whether they felt good, bad, upset, you know, anything like that. And then ultimately the, what I've learned over the years and, and, you know, thank you for this opportunity to explain empathetic leadership in my view, but it requires three steps, right? It's listening, understanding, and then taking action. Um, you've got to, you've got to do all three. And, and really there's a fourth, it's kind of a follow-up to that, you know, follow-up on those actions. But I would say those, those three in general would be my key topics. Yeah, that's terrific. And I love the idea of adding that fourth step, a follow-up. And I do think people forget that sometimes. People really love it when you circle back and check in, like, did you did that work for you? Is that going well? Because like you said before, you have to be a flexible leader. Things change quickly in business and you want to be on top of it all the time. 
Well, I think we're up on time now, Mike, but thank you so much for joining me today on The E-Word. I appreciate you spending time with us and sharing all those great insights. Always. And thank you so much, Debbie, for having me. This was a pleasure and a treat and, and, you know, love talking about what we do. Fantastic. Well, listeners, just want to remind you, don't be afraid to use the E-Word at work. And we'll see you next time. I'm Debbie Kleiman for The Upside.